You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 468, the Who Am I quiz, the 1990s version, the earning power of musicians, Woodstock versus today, and whatever happened to Elvis Presley? That's all coming up after Cotton Mather and 40 Watt Solution. So you think you've got... is celebrating 50 years in broadcasting here in the UK and I first heard this track on Whispering Bob's late night Saturday show way back in 2001 and um, I sort of have held it in high regard ever since. Mm. Um, delightfully sort of influenced by the Beatles squeeze and 70s power pop, a single from the album The Big Picture, Cotton Mather and 40 Watt Solution. I enjoyed that, good choice. Yeah, good song. Zigazaga, zigazaga, oi, oi, oi. And <laughs> welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. Uh, it's episode 468. 
I'm Terence Stackham, and she may be the song that summer sings, may be the chill that autumn brings. She's Juliet Harris. You're always so lyrical, Terence. I very much enjoy it. Hello, everyone. I hope you are okay. Now, um, Julia, if you cast your mind back 12 months, you'll recall, as will long-term listeners, that at this time in 2019, you were sweeping away all comers on BBC Radio 2 as their resident quiz queen. That was a very wacky summer, yes, indeed. It was, wasn't it? Each week you were asked to select questions from your favourite decade, and I thought we might give you a chance to relive that glorious Uh summer of achievement. That's very kind, thank you. We're going to bring you Who Am I?, The 1990s edition. Mm. I've got five cultural figures from the 1990s for you to identify. Might be pop stars, Mm -hmm. presenters, bands, TV personalities, TV shows, who knows? All have a 1990s significance. Three clues for each potential answer. Three points if you get the answer from the first one. Two from two clues. One point if you need all three clues. Listeners, see if you can beat Juliet. Oh, yes. Come on. Let's let's have a go. First one. Who am I? 1990s. Mm. I'm married to the rapper Mario Soul Eye Treadway and we have three children. I'm not sure. Let's let's move on to the next one. Okay. Three of my hits in the UK in the 1990s were Head Over Feet, Thank You and Hand in My Pocket. Ah, that's our old friend, Alanis Morissette. It is Alanis Morissette. Let me mark you down for two points there. My third clue was going to be, it's ironic you haven't found me yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry not to have reached that stage, but but yeah, very good. Alanis Morissette. On to the second question, Juliet Harris and Mm -hmm. listeners. Yeah, come on, gang. Our single was number one in the UK on the first day of the 1990s. 1st of January 1990, our single was number one. You're not going to get it from that, really. No, it's a great question, but no, I don't know, I'm afraid. Produced by Stock, Aitken and Waterman, it features Kylie, Bross, Wet, Wet, Wet and Chris Rea and and Cliff Richard. Oh, is it band? Is it Band Aid? The the second Band Aid Two. Yes, it is Band Aid Two. Two points again for Juliet Harris. Just jotting this down. Uh, the third clue was going to be the original in nineteen eighty four was written by Bob Geldof and Midge. Ah, uh, right. Good work. Question three: Who am I? Nineteen nineties. Mm. I was born in nineteen seventy six, and I'm married to TV presenter and comedian Patrick Keelty. Oh, Cat Dealey. Oh, I didn't think you'd get that. Very three points. Oh, thank you. I, weirdly, I, having not thought about Cat Dealey for many moons, uh, I watched The Simpsons yesterday in which she was guesting in her, and it was her voice, in her guise as host of American Idol or whatever that, or oh, any, yes, whatever. Yes, yes, she, yes. We always forget that she's big out there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of thought she had, um, you know, disappeared off the radar, but in actual fact, she's a huge star in America, yeah. <laughs> Fourth question. My first name begins with D, and I stood in the 1997 general election in Kensington and Chelsea against Kenneth Clark. I received 218 votes. Wow. Um, I, I'm not sure. Let's move on to the next one. I starred in a hidden camera show on Channel 4 with an opening theme by Elastica. Oh, Dom Jolie. 
Dom Jolly it is. My show was called Trigger Happy TV. What did you get there? Two points there. You're doing very well. It, it, I mean, it could be better, but it could be worse. It's, it's all right. But I, I, I think the listeners are probably streaking ahead of me, but let's carry on. My final question um, of Who Am I? 1990s. The theme tune is written by Tony Hatch, and the show was originally modelled on Radio Telefis Aaron's The Reardons. Oh, is it Brookside? No. Oh, okay. Move on to the next one. In 1993, in one episode, an aeroplane crashed into the village. Ah, it's Emmerdale Farm. It's Emmerdale Farm. Now no longer the farm bit, just called Emmerdale. Well, didn't that happen around that same time? Probably I did. I think the plane crash and the dropping of the farm, and it was Far all very on. very modern, wasn't it? Two, four, six, eight, eleven all out right. of a potential I'm fifteen. That. Not bad, thank you. Very Thanks good. For an excellent quiz. Listeners, do. but Juliet, mm. it's not all over. Ah, they think it's not all over, and it turns out it isn't, as someone didn't say. There are three bonus questions for you based on what we've just talked about. Oh, yes, okay. They're multiple choice. All right. Juliet Harris, are you ready? I am Sir Terence Many Names Deckham. Yes. Just, I sounded a bit like Ryland there, didn't I? Juliet Harris. <laughs> ready now. Right, here we go. It was nice to have him back for a minute. <laughs> yes. Um, bonus questions. Dom Jolly went to a Quaker school. Who of these was one of his schoolmates? Chris Martin of Coldplay. Former Labour leader Ed Miliband. Snooker's Steve Davis. Or terrorism's Osama Bin Laden. I'm going to say Chris Martin. It was Azama bin, bin Laden. Laden. Yes, he I went to school in Beirut. Be. That is, of course, he did. Did you know that was at the back of my mind? But I just thought it was too mad. Wow! Imagine being in the playground with Azama bin Laden. Here, catch this ball. No, I don't think I will. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> but it's possible he might not have been the Oza bin Laden that we all know him as back when he was a child. Who knows? He, he may have been a pleasant young fellow in shorts, sharing his lunch with all his. Pals. Absolutely. Question two in the three bonus questions in a section I like to call three bonus questions. Yes, I wonder what this section was called. We haven't been told. No, no, it is indeed three bonus questions. Right. um, We talked about Emmerdale. In 2012, as part of the storyline, Emmerdale hosted a music festival at Home Farm. Which two bands were featured? Of these four multiple choice answers. 2012 Music Festival at Home Farm. Scouting for Girls and the Proclaimers. Coldplay and the Wurzels. (laughs) Bombay Bicycle Club and Alex James from The Blur. Mm. Or Cliff Richard and Kim Wilde. The Proclaimers and Scouting for Girls. Coldplay and the Wurzels. Bombay Bicycle Club and Alex James from Blur. Cliff Richard and Kim Wilde. Working on the basis of A, credibility, and mm. B, affordability, I'm going to go for the first one. Well done, Juliet Harris. Hey. Well worked out. Scouting Girls and the Proclaimers appeared in Emmerdale at a music festival in 2012. And the third question in the three bonus questions, we're back to Dom Jolly again. He's oh, featuring a lot here. Jo- Dolly Dom Jolly, indeed. 15 years ago... Dom Jolly and his wife sold their flat 
in All Saints Road, Notting Hill, and moved to the Cotswolds. Who bought their flat in Notting Hill? Mm. Four potential answers. David Cameron, Salman Rushdie, Nigel Farage, David Beckham. One of those four bought Dom Jolly's flat in Notting Hill 15 years ago. Cameron, Rushdie, Farage, Beckham. Cameron. Salman Rushdie. Wow. I th- I couldn't decide between David's and it turned out to be Salman Rushdie. Salman Rushdie. They live wacky lives, don't they, the Jollies? <laughs> they really do. And actually, I've got another question in a minute, but I was just going to say, I've just word has just come in. You know you've got 2, 4, 6, 8, 11 in yes. that quiz. Well, apparently we're operating under Gavin Williamson rules, <laughs> so your score has actually been reduced to 4. Well, I think that that much like Toby Young, you will be receiving a telephone call from my dad later on today <laughs> explaining how that's incredibly wrong. And by the end of today, I will have received a score of 14 and will be going to the uh, to the Dackham College of Further Education. <laughs> Is it, I, I had some bonus info, info, and I could have squeezed another more, another multiple choice question out of this. In fact, I think I will. So here's a bonus to the uh, bonus. I've only got one out of three. Let's Indeed. see if I can, I can restore some equilibrium. It's about Dom, jo- Dom Jolly oh, again. I mean, I was going to say, is he your friend or something? He's never come up before. Yeah, he seems to be very close. He's dominating today's show. When really I, got, I, for an interesting world, haven't they? So why well, not? There's it really is after the Azam bin Laden and Salman Rushdie. Um, here's another one. When Dom Jolly and his family moved to the Cotswolds and were mm. waiting for their new house to be refurbished, they rented for a year a house... From which quiz show presenter? <laughs> this is still true. Was it Jeremy Paxman, Anne Robinson, Bradley Walsh, or John Humphreys? Let's try Paxman. It was Anne Robinson. Oh, for goodness sake. Oh, that is that is very wacky, isn't it? What wow, a weird is, life. I was gonna say they have a they have lived, haven't they? Bless them. Wow, how that is very enjoyable. Uh, Dom Dom Jolly related trivia. Uh coming right up why... <laughs> <laughs> terrific quiz. Coming right up, why were the artists who played at Woodstock uh, Woodstock paid so badly? That's right after the Delgados. See a place, see a source, see a reason to believe in more. Better still take a walk, take a pick up on the only star. She is ill, he is still just as trying as he was before. Comes around with some chat with a dagger hanging in your back.
long been a fan of the Delgados, and uh, not just because they, their sounds have evolved through different kind of phases, and that's from the last studio album that they made, which is Universal Audio, which is probably their most straightforward record, I would think. It's their most radio-friendly. If someone was trying to get into the Delgados, I might suggest that they, they try listening to that and see what they think of it. I, thought, I think that's a very good radio-friendly sort of pop rock song. I, re- I really love it. I love Emma Pollock, the singer's voice. I always have done. And I think they're a, a grand band. So that is the Delgados, and that is Everybody Come Down. And features, of course, Dom Jolly... No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> on Trigger Happy TV or the follow-up. Was it called World Shut Your Mouth? His follow-up. It was, yeah. yeah. I, I found, uh, going through my big CD dig, I found uh, this soundtrack CD to that the other day that had lots of different artists on it. There were several volumes of the Trigger Happy TV soundtrack as well, So, uh, which used to have very... The music was always excellent. Music it was, was great. Like, they're all on YouTube, by the way. I had a little check this week as we have we were having Dom Jolly Week, and they're they're, they're all um, for free on on YouTube. Uh, that's worth watching, or, or possibly on four on demand as well. I should think. Uh, okay, that's, actually, the surprising thing about the Delgados is if you'd asked me, um, which you didn't, uh, to guess how many UK hits they had, mm. I would have said, oh, maybe ten. And the real answer is zero. Yeah, they I never that, bothered the charts at all. They never hit the top forty. Oh, no, I knew amazing. that. They were, they were largely they were they were underground concern, and actually they're perhaps better known for their record label, which they set up, which is Chemical Underground. Oh yes, the famous bands are like Bis and Mogwai, and mostly Mogwai, I think, in terms of the yeah. success. But uh, they're, they're perhaps better known for that. But they were very much critical. Well, they were very much underground band from the off. So, so John Peel supported them fairly early on, and then the Great Eastern, which is the album we discussed before, I think, which got nominated mm. for the Met Prize, was very much a sort of critical darling album. It did really well in in end of end of year lists and that sort of thing. So they were very much a sort of an underground, a cult concern and then a critical concern. But that never really translated itself into top 40 singles, which, as you say, is slightly surprising, particularly for something like that, which you'd think with a fair win behind it would do reasonably well. I only know them really from their singles, to be honest. And the, uh, that, as an example, uh, the one we, we just heard, it's so accessible and you would yeah, think commercially absolutely. viable. I mean, I wonder whether it was just bad promotion or sort of Maybe. some sort of other problems that didn't get them into the mainstream. It's extraordinary. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a shame, really. But uh, interestingly, if you, if you like that sort of thing, um, Emma Pollock has done some excellent mm. solo albums as, as a follow-up to that. They sort of... I don't think that they're broke up acrimoniously I think because she's married mm. to one of them I think they just stopped um, yeah. but she she did an album that's called In Search of Harperfield and that's really good I would recommend that highly so um, so so yeah if you like yeah. that kind of slightly more accessible sound that is worth a listen I think I've scribbled that down and made a little note of that um, back at the time of back at the time of Woodstock life was very different to now there was much <laughs> social well, unease I'm, I'm, I was going to say, nine months ago, life was very different to now, but yeah. Yeah, that's right. There, there was much social unease. There was a significant difference between the haves and have-nots. And in America, they had a president who was considered divisive. And oh, <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe there wasn't much difference at all, in actual fact. I was going to say, yes, this all sounds so unfamiliar, doesn't mm. it? For musicians, though, the uh, current earning model was on its head. It, instead of making money by live gigs and using records as a secondary tool, as we do now. In 1969, bands and artists expected to make money from record sales and to promote that uh, record by going out on tour. Mm. And Jules 
you've been undertaking some investigating and it's it's rather astonishing to just to learn just what the groups and performers at Woodstock at uh, that huge festival were paid absolutely well yes i've put on my uh my beige mac and my uh mm. my, my big trilby hat with a with a press card in it and i've been doing some investigative research we should have a theme for this really but anyway i i the colombo theme indeed yes harris is on the case here and uh, i mean i say this i i saw this on twitter <laughs> that is my investigative research um it was a list of how much people were paid for playing at woodstock mm. and it's got all all 29 acts that played at Woodstock. Um, I feel sorry for poor old Quill that got a total of $375 at the bottom, which is nuts, isn't it, really? But even as you go up, you'd think, oh, well, you know, maybe it will just rock it as you go up. By the way, that's only about $2,000 in today's uh, money. Absolutely, and it was Woodstock, you know. And it was Woodstock. Yeah, the biggest thing of the day. And I mean, because I wasn't around at the time, what this is a question for you has woodstock was woodstock the the biggest thing that had ever happened at the time very much is it so. only now viewed as the biggest thing that no it, it was it, at the time it, yeah. it took america firstly by surprise mm. and then the rest of the world because they weren't expecting the numbers that turned up mm. and because then um people uh, trampled i think they were expecting something like eighty thousand, and you know the unofficial word is at about half a million five hundred thousand wow. and because people then trampled the fences down it became a free festival they couldn't contain people yeah. and it was uh, a disaster zone it was actually declared a, a disaster zone and uh because of you know, the rain and the mud and everything it rained incessantly yes. through much of it and um you know it was it was uh you know a, a sort of area where the government and the federal government had to intervene to get yeah. people in and out yeah so, so it was so, huge, but it took well, America by well, surprise. Well, so in which case it is even more surprising. Although maybe maybe the low fees uh, reflect the fact they were not expecting mm. it to be on that scale. Although eighty thousand is still a large scale, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. They were expecting. Yeah. So as you go up the list, you think you you get to Santana at twenty six, and you think, oh well, Santana was you know was obviously pretty well known at that point. Sure, you think. Yeah. $750 Santana got paid for doing Woodstock and then Absolutely. as you go up a bit a bit further Joe Cocker's famous uh, with a little help from my friend's performance $1,375 um, Country Joe and the Fish who I think were the openers weren't they? I, th I think they might have been um, No I think um, oh I can't think of his name um, Oh yeah <sighs> What was the? Go back down to the lower earners, and I'll tell you who it was that opened it. Um, I'm just, I'm trying to have a guy look. on his own that played guitar and did. Uh, Sometimes I Richie feel Havens. like a, Richie Havens opened it. Yeah, he opened it. So in which case, apologies, but you still think Country Joe and the Fish would would earn a reasonable oh, amount? For sure, yeah. They were they really were... big at the time because of their. Um, they were so against the Vietnam War, and yes. the, the, you know the youngsters loved them. Yeah. Two and a half thousand dollars, two thousand five hundred dollars. They got paid. Um, Ravi Shankar, very well known for mm. for the Beatles at the time, mm. um, sort of the, the connected to the Beatles' mysticism and that sort of thing. Four thousand five hundred. Crosby, mm. Stills, Nash and Young. He struggled to find a bigger kind mm. of lineup at that point, wouldn't you? Five thousand dollars. Again, that is just bewildering when you yeah, think there were the it? four of them. That's you know like a grand yeah. each, and the, you know they, that's yeah. you know before expenses. Absolutely incredible. The, the who six thousand two hundred and fifty dollars. 
I mean, the who at it. These people point. all had terrible agents and managers. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Sliding the family stone seven grand. I wonder if they were sort of conned into thinking that it would be good yes. publicity because of the you know the yeah. movie and everything. So yeah, we won't pay you much, but it'll be good promotion for you. And we are in the top ten by this point of, yeah. of, of, of people that got paid. Uh, Jefferson Airplane, sorry, Jefferson Airplane, Janis Joplin, and the band all got the same fee, which is seven thousand five hundred dollars each. You know, that's again, it, about forty grand in mad, today's, isn't it? Money. Yeah. And and now we're in the top. The band were that they were all sort of at the bottom of the top five. So, Credence Clearwater Revival, you know, synonymous with that time, ten grand. Joan Baez, ten grand. The second highest paid band, which I'm quite surprised at when you think of all the names we've heard of previously. Second highest fees so are the second best agent, Blood, Sweat and Tears, who got 15,000. I suppose they were quite big at the time and there was what a lot they, of them, but they, even still. Get, why did they get double what the band got? None of this makes sense no. at all. Why did they get three times what Crosby, Stills, <laughs> Nash and Young got? It's nuts, isn't it? Yeah. And the, the top fee... Jimi Hendrix, would you think? Yeah, okay, fair enough. Jimi Hendrix is Woodstock for a lot of people. That was, he really did capture the sort of moment. But he played to an, sorry, you're going to say how much? Sorry, go on. 18 grand. 18 grand, ridiculous. So again, about. Well, you're going to say that, which is, uh, it's roughly, in 2015, that would have been $112,000. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to guess at about 100 yeah. grand. And of course, he played to an empty field because he, yeah. he was the last act on. Monday morning, everybody was soaked and covered in mud and just thought, yeah. oh, blow this for a lark and went home. And you see uh, some of the wider camera shots, you see about. Maybe five to seven thousand people clustered around the stage, like loving every moment. And then behind yeah. that, it's just devastation it's, of it's, it's crazy, tents and sleeping it? bags. And it's, it's bonkers. And if you want to, if you want to um, compare some of the price range for people, I think you might have some as well. Mm. But the, today's performers. So if you think that Jimmy headlining the biggest festival in the world was about one hundred and twelve thousand, um, if you want Bob Dylan nowadays. He's one hundred and fifty to two thousand, uh, two hundred thousand mm. um, dollars. Adele, um, who headlined Glastonbury a few years ago, to great effect. I don't know how much she charged charged them, but in twenty fifteen, she would have cost you seven hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. Drake will cost you uh, three to five hundred thousand. Mm. No, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I have got a couple of other examples. But incidentally, before we leave Woodstock, um, mm. we were half a million strong. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. wo- it's worth pointing out, actually, that the brand of Woodstock is still being squeezed mm. to the very last drops of nostalgia. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Every minute of the three days is now available on a 38-CD box set. £624.99 pence to you. Oh, um, wow. That, that, that means that you experience the whole thing. You're going to put basically three days aside, uh, have some sleep in between um, to <laughs> listen to the whole thing. Other than by recreating Woodstock by holograms in your sitting room, it's hard to know how they can actually rinse any more out no. of Woodstock now. I mean, one would hope this is the end, wouldn't you, really? Mm. I mean, it, it says a lot as well. This is not the first time we have talked about a repackaged version of Woodstock on this podcast. No, I mean, because they did a 50th anniversary, didn't they, in 20? 2019 yeah. with again a whole you kind do. of multi-box set get a you know yeah, blu-ray absolutely. and whatever a box and a book and all that sort of stuff if, if, if i'd have bought that then i might feel a bit short yes. this would come out now 
I mean, yes, and less than a year later. I know. £625 bar a penny. <laughs> Today's artists w- w- would laugh in the face yeah. of a promoter who offered um, them such scant yeah, return for live gigs. grand, yeah. But I think also shows weren't seen as uh, kind of in inverted commas events back in the 1970s. You just went out to see a band and mm. came home again. Now it's kind of iconic and a major to do, and it, it is above all an experience when you mm. when you go. In. And as an audience member, you pay big time for that. I think. Bands are very reluctant to publicise their fees in the current era, probably because audiences would faint if they knew how much their favourites were taking away in 2020 in a non-Covid world, of course. Fees fees these days are buried in a fog of contracts and merchandising and image rights and so on. But a bit of digging this week, rather like you did with uh, Adele and Dylan Mm. and so on, um, I've I've got a few examples that if you want... Elton John to come and perform for an hour, either mm. at a private gig like these these um, awful people in you know something yeah. Istanbul do, you know, say, "Well, I'll have a birthday party for my daughter," or for a festival. Elton John starts at three point five million dollars. Wow! Oh wow, that is big, isn't Madonna, it? Madonna, five million dollars per Ooh. hour uh, at a gig. Rihanna, eight million dollars, and the top earners. Incredible, considering their their uh, ages. Top earners, the Rolling Stones, they start negotiations at ten million dollars for a one-off and, performance at a festival. And, and when when I watched the uh, apologies to anybody this offends, but when I watched the footage of them playing at Glastonbury, they weren't very good. It no, wasn't it wasn't very no. good. And you do think, oh, I think as I said at the time, we can file this one under. Thank goodness I didn't spend two hundred pounds standing in a muddy field in rain pretending to enjoy this it was it was yeah and also very telling that you i say i saw it on tv i didn't see very much of it on tv because mm. they were quite insistent on it not being shown very much on the tv coverage well, which it, and i think was financially uh, linked i'm not a fan i've said before i don't like a lot of the lyrics the misogyny and kind of racism and some other kind of aspects to their lyrics which i find that i just can't warm to at all but i did go and see them just for the experience in 2013 at hyde park oh yes you did you i remember that when you know with some friends we just wanted to be able to say seen the rolling stones because i'd never i'd never seen them and i echo what you said about glastonbury they actually weren't very good The, the sound was very thin Yes, really. Um, I think. Yeah, it just you know it just wasn't that great an experience. It wasn't like mm-hmm. a, a showstopper. So no, and also I mean, quid. it sounds it sounds this sounds really rude, and I don't mean it to, but they're one of those bands that really show their age now. They yeah. they you, you do think God, you are quite old, aren't you? And it, and it's quite. You you really get that sense as well. I mean, I know that Keith Richards. We all have to celebrate Keith Richards' rock and roll lifestyle, but his solos are approximate at best nowadays, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Again, that was one thing. I thought his guitar work was negligible uh, mm. at best. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to have. They have to have a sort of. He has to have a minder, doesn't he? That plays the guitar. That kind Absolutely. of fills in the bits yeah. that he's meant to be playing, Tough. which is. Uh, yeah, it's pretty. Um, you know, the, the things about them I like, and I do think they have made some great records. I, it, you know, I, I, there are some of their records that I think are outstanding. But yeah, I'm not sure I want to see them now very much. I mean, you know, I think that I think that Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young for five grand, I'll take that, please. That, <laughs> yeah, like, even if they don't speak to each other anymore, I would take that. <laughs> Coming up, 
Whatever happened to Elvis? Um, that's right after Kate Bush. Could you see the eyes of Could you see the screaming Could you see the storm rising? Could you see the guy who was driving? Could you climb right over the top? Why does a multi-millionaire fill up his home with priceless junk?
six years have flown by since Kate Bush's shows in 2014 at the Hammersmith Odeon and uh, she opened on the 26th of August and that was an event, that was an experience, mm-hmm. uh, certainly one to remember. This was a single taken from her 2005 album, Wondering If Elvis Is Still Alive Out There Somewhere. Number four in the UK, Kate Bush from the album Ariel and King of the Mountain. I love that. And I that, and I actually think that Ariel by Kate Bush might be my favourite of her albums. It's certainly got my favourite Kate Bush track on it, I think, which is How To Be Invisible. I, I think it's it was such a, a lovely album and a great return to form that that, that is my, my fave, I think. Now, we were, we were talking about the differences between 1969 and today in terms of Woodstock. And mm-hmm. equally, there are dramatic differences in how we receive information today as opposed to when Elvis Presley died in 1977. I was at football training, uh, getting ready for another unfulfilled season as midfield general in a Sunday football team, when a sister of one of our players actually ran on to our pitch and uh, stopped the game and said she'd heard Elvis Presley had died and she had a radio with her and Mm. uh, it was on the radio. I was too young, really, for Elvis to have had much cultural influence mm. on me. I suppose I thought he was quite old when he died. Of course, he, in reality, he was only 42. But before the internet, you heard a news flash on the radio or TV. This is how I heard of John Lennon and Diana Princess mm. of Wales' deaths, news interruptions on the radio. Yeah. As I say, Elvis was a huge star, of course, but I didn't have any musical ties to him. And for your generation, Jules, I'm guessing... He's some sort of historical figure. Well, yeah, interestingly, he is. Although he did have a little bit of a of a of a resurgence. Um, it feels, I suppose, relatively brief now. Mm. But it was it was so. So I, I I never want to hold myself up as a typical young person because I've always had taste beyond my years. So mm. I did have an, an Elvis greatest hits tape because I very much liked fifties rock and roll when I was. Probably about seven to ten, I reckon, if I had to have so to put that. Mid, that so in the early nineties, yeah, mm. early to mid nineties. So, so, but then having said that, I I knew about that because he might have been on a rock and roll compilation tape. Mm. I got bought one Christmas with a Walkman, and when we, I, I think I bought it from W. H. Smiths in in Hastings, and I believe it was probably in a sale, a remainder pile, mm. and I, I bought it and liked it. So I knew he wasn't. I liked him, but. He so they had a brief mo he had a brief sort of moment where um a little less conversation was remixed by Junkie XL, although Elvis's estate in, insisted that they be credited as JXL um, because of the connotations. And it was used in a Nike advertising campaign. Of course, it was, I'd forgotten that, yeah. FIFA World Cup. So I was at university or just started university at this point, and everyone was really into it. And it got to uh, number one in over 20 countries and as a result of which they then released a uh, number one hits compilation called Elvis except the I is replaced with a one which I suppose makes it Elv 1S but anyway <laughs> they, they, they released that and it was his uh, first um, the album got him to the top of the billboard charts for the first time in almost 30 years so so he did have a bit of a resurgence mm. um, to cover that to follow that up um 
uh, they did a remix of Rubbernecking in 2003 that got to the top of the US sales chart. And there was then a, a 50th anniversary re-release of That's All Right. Um, it got to number three over here. So he did have a bit of a resurgence. They then had another three reissued singles in 2005. Jailhouse Rock, um, One Night Slash I Got Stung, uh, Stung and It's Now or Never all got to number one. Oh wow! Over here in the UK, hmm. um, they re-released all of eight, all eighteen of Elvis's previous UK number ones. Um, all shook up came with a collector's box that meant it was ineligible for the charts. But each of the other seventeen reissues hit the British top five. Good lord! So actually, you say maybe he was so relevant to me as a young, perhaps as a very young person. I knew who he was, but he didn't. Uh, he was never quite as important to the Beatles as with me, if you see what I'm... And, I, I, and me, exactly, yeah. As, as, ...as a youngster. And I sort of took to that more than I did Elvis. But having said that, I keep my pens in an Elvis mug, which is on the desk that I'm looking <laughs> at now. And so so when he had those... Um, when he had those sort of um, those, those sort of return hits, I think a lot of people, younger people that were sort of interested in the charts at that point, were reminded of him. I should think, and, and a little less conversation was massive. You used to hear that in clubs all the time. It was a very canny idea to do a dance remix. It really, it really, um, it really did take off. And I, I'm not sure that they knew how much that was going to take off to the point where I did get the distinct impression. Some of these things are very carefully plotted out, so it might well have been that it was, but I did get the impression that the the greatest hits and then the reissue campaign were sort of capitalising on the unexpected success of that remix rather than rather than anything else. If you, I mean, I could have that wrong, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But so so... Yeah, perhaps he wasn't. Perhaps I was, in a way, perhaps I was too young for Elvis. Having said that, he did have this rather surprising resurgence in the noughties, which I was very much around for. In reality, I suppose it's quite absurd that in 1977 I saw Elvis as an old person. In fact, it's it's interesting to consider that when he was seen as a bit of a has-been and Mm. battled to return to public favour with the famous NBC 68 comeback special... He was only 33, and to put that in context, Adele will be 33 at her next birthday. How interesting. Yeah, absolutely, and she's still pretty... pretty. Uh, These days, we think 33, you know, it's, it's nothing, do we? But back in 68, it was like, oh, you know, oh, God, Elvis, he's coming back, you know, he's yeah. 33, what is he doing? You know, Isn't that interesting? Mm. That is so fascinating. I had no idea that, that was... Um, yeah. that that was sort of a, that's where it was because when you look at his list of studio albums here he he released as many more albums after the sort of 68 comeback tv special than he did beforehand yes because he was doing movies all the time wasn't he which i thought was a uh, in retrospect was a terrible decision from colonel yes, tom parker things now of course we're we're likely to hear of major events through tmz on social media and whatever i found out michael jackson and prince had died through twitter and uh, this is the way now and then we, you turn on 24 hour rolling news and keep your phone in one hand scrolling through social media i yeah, suppose absolutely. yeah i found out that bowie had died on twitter so yes. so yeah it's uh, it's quite um yeah, it's it like you say, it's it's a different world, I suppose. Really, I found out that Princess Diana had died through teletext. 
Oh, good Lord, yes, I, I, good old I, teletext. I, I, indeed, I walked downstairs as a 13-year-old and uh, couldn't understand why none of the channels were showing what was in the what was in the Radio Times. I couldn't understand why they were showing Diana and Charles's wedding on Channel 4 at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I just didn't get that at all. And I remember turning on, because I was a huge teletext addict, I think I've talked about this mm. before, I loved that service, and I remember turning it on and I just the front usually the front page would scroll round through different things, and it had a fixed front page that just said Princess Diana killed in car accident, yeah. and it's it's strange how yeah. there is something about the hearing of a radio that 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 is sort of no, I don't know why that compared to TV anchors it into a moment more. I'm not sure. Absolutely. Well, thanks as always for uh, listening. It's great to have you along. I echo the sentiments of my learned friend. Thank you. Now, as you're not appearing with Ryland this weekend, you'll have (laughs) other radio appearances to keep us satisfied. Absolutely. To my very grateful single figures public, I will be uh, I will be doing a couple of radio shows this weekend that I do on my little mixer channel, mixler.com, mixlr.com, and find my name, Juliet Harris. Um, I'm doing smooth. So I'm doing Saturday Social this evening. I have all got similar names. I should have planned this better. I'm doing Saturday <laughs> Social this evening. This is we're doing, recording this on Saturday, the 22nd of August, five till seven p.m. Northern Soul Motown, etc. And then tomorrow, um, Sunday, the 23rd, from seven till nine on the same channel, I'm doing Smooth Sailing, which is yacht rock, easy listening, M.O.R. classic pop, that sort of thing. And if you miss any shows and you'd like to catch up, you can go onto my Mixer channel page. There's a button underneath where the graphic is that you press that says show reel and then um you will get all the old shows because i upload them after every show after every show's finished so so yeah if you'd like to listen along you'd be very welcome and i i did the uh, show reel thing the other the other uh, week or so ago because i missed one of your shows and um it's very easy to do you just hit show reel and it tells you which shows there and then you can listen to it as if it's live and it's really really good thank you it's it's a it's a nice uh, player to use i think mixer mm. it's quite user friendly well one one warning though if you are going to do that we had sound problems at the beginning of last week's smooth sailing which means you won't hear anything for the first three or four minutes but it does kick in eventually i promise <laughs> <laughs> a brand new single to play us out jules Yes, and I heard this on the radio earlier this week, and it made me laugh so much. And, <laughs> and uh, like lots of people, yes, uh, laughing along to things doesn't always come that easily at the moment. Mm. But this really did make me howl, and I was very grateful to hear it. I, I almost feel like it is sacrilege to to sleep for mods if you are of a particular music taste and a particular political view. But for me, this is like sleep for mods commentary, but slightly less wearing. And I know that is a little bit. I do like some sleep for mods, <laughs> but yes, I found this had a, a slight lightness to it which i quite enjoyed um i do like a rant i must admit and i think this is such a, a well-drawn character study i think that all of us have ha- have a neighbor that's a bit like this i think it's brilliant this is uh, the band is called yard act and the song is called fixer upper hello there i got a letter in the post addressed to the previous owner i don't know how to pronounce their name i don't think that they were from round here you know well i just moved into the area yeah that big old thing over the road it's a fixer-upper though It's a fixer-upper song We're gonna put pound shop terracotta frogs everywhere Wrap solar power fairy lights round the gutter I got a Prosecco a clock poster Half price in Ikea It goes nicely with the existential fear That I feel when I accidentally wonder What I'm really doing here And how long I've got left before I'm six feet under I can't believe I'm a two-home owner I can't believe I'm a two-home owner I finally got a nice little drive to call my own 
Listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>